0: Good morning and welcome to day 38 of lockdown. I pray that uh, this Butt God series that has literally filled my soul both preparing for it and also getting those Butt God testimonies that people have sent in whilst I've been trying to do homeschool and a job and meet people's needs and help people plan job descriptions and things like that. I pray that it's been a blessing to you. It's been such a blessing to me. And today I'm going to speak about perspective. You know... There's that phrase, perspective is everything. And if you type it into Google, you get some funny memes. I, I looked at one of the memes. There's, there was a guy on a boat and he was presumably lost at sea and, uh, and he sees land and he's shouting out, land. And then you see a guy on a desert island and he's got a, a beard right down to his toes and he's shouting, boat. Perspective. Perspective is, is everything. I was, uh, researching this, and and I read about the Chinese and the Koreans, and uh, the Koreans decided that they wanted to reduce accidents at robots. And so what they did is they put a countdown on the red, so that when you got to the red, it wasn't like you would get there in a mad rush and not know when it was going to go green. You would watch this countdown, and what they said is it reduced the emotional temperature of drivers, and it reduced accidents drastically. The Chinese looked at this, and presumably they had a different perspective, or they just didn't want to be like the Koreans, and so they put the countdown on the green. The result was that accidents drastically increased at those robots. You could imagine hundreds of thousands of Chinese motorbike riders racing to get to that green before it went to zero, and finding out that they couldn't get there, and then just chaos. Perspective. Perspective is the thing that that works or doesn't work in marriage. In fact, you just need to be married for a couple of minutes and and you start to realize that if I don't value my spouse's perspective or I don't change my perspective to line up with my spouse's perspective, then I'm going to look more like the Chinese than the Koreans. I uh, have had lots of WhatsApps. I want to say thank you for all the encouragements about my bookshelf that is perfectly color-coded I thank you because it has been at incredible personal cost. It takes me hours to find books nowadays. But what I realized is that me agreeing and valuing my wife's perspective above my own results in great happiness in my life. There is a direct correlation between her perspective overruling mine and happiness. Marriage, really. Is about sitting on one side of a table and your spouse sitting on another and, and you're drawing a six and she's seeing a nine. And you can use all your energy to fight for why it's a six or you can use all your energy to understand why she sees a nine. Perspective. Everybody has perspective right now on lockdown, on whether we should open up the economy and just go for it and ride this thing because that will save lives over the long term or should we keep the lockdown going, so that we can save lives over the short term and and people have got a perspective. But the point I want to make today and what I want to speak about today is that God has a perspective. In fact, we could argue that God has the perspective. Most of Christianity is about aligning our perspective or our point of view to his viewing point. He sees the whole picture. We see a tiny piece of it. We just see what's in front of us. And this But God series, this But God series is about changing perspective. It's, it's about saying, this is my circumstance, but God, and changing how we look at our circumstances, reframing them. I was proofreading a book for a friend of mine, Gugu Lamini, and she writes this. It is not that we Christians... Do not hear the news or even watch the news from any broadcaster. It is just that we do not take the news as the last word on the matter. We add but God to the end of every broadcast. Today I'm going to take a character in the Bible, Joseph. And uh, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 39. I want to look at this guy's story. Because if ever there was a challenge on getting God's perspective, it was Joseph's life. His his life, it it seems to go from bad to worse. And all the way along, it's clear that God has a perspective on things and Joseph must have had a perspective on things. And what you see at the end of his life is that he's shifted his perspective to God's perspective and it's created so much freedom and joy and life in in his life that I want this for us. And so the story starts in Genesis chapter 39 with Joseph who comes from one of the most dysfunctional families ever. He's got 11 brothers, one sister. His, his father has a favorite wife and he's the favorite child. In fact, you could argue he was like a only child growing up in this family. And he's the child who gets the, the multicolored dream coat that we sing the song about. He's the child that gets blessed at every turn. He's the child who dreams and doesn't have the wisdom on how to share the dream so his brothers get jealous and eventually all of the favoritism lands up in complete rejection and his brothers sell him off to Potiphar. He goes through slave traders to Egypt and it says this in Genesis 39 verse 1, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, like a police commissioner, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The next verse says, the Lord was with Joseph. We could say, but God was with Joseph. Now to get the bigness of the situation, we have to think about it from Joseph's point of view. He's 17. He's afraid. He's been betrayed, rejected, and sold. His whole life has been ripped out from underneath him. He's woken up going from his father's house as a son to Potiphar's house as a slave in a a space that spoke a different language that he didn't understand, where he had no starting place. He, He didn't understand the culture. He didn't understand anything about it. He would have been terrified. And this verse says, but God was with Joseph. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'd woken up with that level of pain and I had read this verse in the Bible, I would have gone, ah, God, there's no God with me because my God, the God of Abraham, provided a way out for Isaac. He was Jehovah Jireh who gave a lamb for the sacrifice. My God, the God of... Of Jacob, my father, was the protector he protected Jacob from from Laban he protected Jacob from his brother. God is the protector, and God hasn 't protected me or provided a way out for me i 'm stuck, but God was with Joseph. in fact, the thinking is is quite profound when we when we personalize it because I get lots of but God testimonies about I had no money but God. I couldn't pay my school fees but God. When I think about my most joyous moments, they are I was in deep, deep trouble but God. My favorite testimony is when I was driving, had an, I, was, I had an accident, car rolled, but God stopped Amy and I from dying. He, he spoke to someone who started praying for us whilst the accident was happening, and we survived. But God, we pray for God to protect us. We pray for God to provide for us. But what we don't pray for is what's happening here, God to place us. Now, here's why this story is so utterly profound. It says, but God was with Joseph so that he prospered, And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Here's what happens. A non-believing person, a person of another religion, recognizes the favor of God on Joseph's life when he is no longer in comfort. God is placing Joseph in a place that is deeply uncomfortable to Joseph, but in the placing him into that environment, God's favor is evident for everybody else around him. Here's the deal. When Joseph was in his father's home, comfortable, he was just another privileged kid kid in an entitled family. You move him to Potiphar's house, and suddenly... Joseph is recognizable by the blessing and favor on his life. Here's here's the big idea. We don't have a theology of place. But you've got to understand this. God determines, he's predetermined the boundaries of our dwellings. Acts says, God places us and he places us into certain places so that his purpose for our life will become evident for all because then we're useful in the kingdom. Joseph wasn't useful in the kingdom in his father's house. Joseph became useful in Potiphar's house. And here's what I want you to know. God has placed you here. If you start to go, God, you've placed me here, there must be a reason for that. It begins to change your perspective and perspective is everything. But this story gets worse. God was blessing him until Potiphar's wife started to hit on Joseph. And uh, as she's hitting on Joseph, he's batting her. One day she hits on him and he, she grabs his coat. He runs out of there. He, he's trying to run for his life to save Potiphar's marriage. His motives appear. And she turns on him. Potiphar gets angry and he finds himself in jail. And then the scripture says, but while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. You could say, but God was with Joseph. You know, it's hard enough to shift your perspective around God being with you, going from your father's house to Potiphar's house. It's a whole other game to have the perspective that God is with me when I'm in jail, enslaved. So, But the scripture says that God was with him, so there must be something going on. The scripture says, but while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. You know, God was with Joseph, but insult had been added to injury because you think about it this way. Whilst Joseph was in Potiphar's house, at least he knew there was purpose. People could see the favor of God on his life. Whilst he was in prison, who cares? Who cares who sees the favor of God in your life when all you've got is a prison warden and prisoners around? It's never getting out there. You ever felt like everything you're doing is for no purpose? Because that's how Joseph felt. I I meet people the whole time. They they go, I don't know why I built this business, this coronavirus. It's just ripping it apart. I don't know why I put myself into teaching. I hate those kids. I, I see this kind of conversation again and again and again. I don't know what the purpose of my life is. When you get to that place, because I think Joseph was at that place, you have to know that God has a perspective. It's different to yours. And here was God's perspective with Joseph. God wasn't trying to place him in a place where he would be blessed and joyful and full of grace. God was placing him in a place where his purpose was to be prepared. God was preparing Joseph for another season. So God puts him in Potiphar's house where he's prepared. He he runs the books for. Potiphar, he learns management accounts, he learns Egyptian, he learns the nuances of dealing with the wealthy, he learns how to manage staff. That's three years. But God puts Joseph into prison for ten years. And here's why. Because if you're going to prepare someone, there are lessons that you learn in the worst place in life, at the bottom of the pile, that you can never learn from the top. So God takes him right to the bottom because God's purpose for his life is to rescue a region, not just a nation, entire region. If the purpose is huge, then you've got to know, you've got to go really far down to learn what you need to fulfill the purpose. Joseph goes to the bottom. And at the bottom, he learns empathy. He learns the way of the poor. He learns how to think when everything you do doesn't get you out of prison. He learns the pain of waking up every day and wondering why you're awake. He learns how people feel so that he can govern them. Because as the story goes on, eventually after 10 years, after being let down by the baker and the wine taster, eventually he gets the promotion. Joseph, who's consistently interpreted dreams and continued to dream, he he gets promoted out of prison and Pharaoh chooses him to govern over Egypt. And, And Joseph... Because now he understands the poor and and he understands the rich is able to put an economic solution to the problem that both cares for the poor and makes Pharaoh stronger than he's ever been in the region. God uses Joseph powerfully. And I want to say to many of you, God will use you powerfully in a famine. But the, the greatest lesson comes after this. Because now Joseph has started a new life. He's got a wife. He's got two kids. He's starting to build a new life with joy. And then pain comes knocking on his door. His brothers come. And uh, they need food. And you can imagine Joseph, now he can teach them what it feels like. He's got three options. He either punishes them, or he ignores them, or... He restores them, and this verse in Genesis chapter fifty it gives us an insight into what's going on in Joseph's head. And when they come to him, he's he's now this is the second time they've interacted. He's made himself known to them. He's restoring the family bit by bit, and they say this to them: "It says his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves," they said. But Joseph said to them, "Don't be afraid." Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. This is the greatest level of freedom any human can get. When you can say to the person who has hurt you the most, "You intended it for harm, but God intended it for good," when when you can say that, when you have reframed your world into a "but God" world, you are free. Joseph, he goes through the pain, he weeps, and then he gets up in freedom and he says, "You intended it for harm, but God intended it for good." We. When he says that, he doesn't just heal them, he heals himself. You know, if you're in a divorce, and you are in pain, and you can say, you intended this for harm, but God is going to use it for good. Or you're in a business, and it looks like it's all going downhill. Your partner's taking your money. If you can say, you intended this for harm but but god's going to use it for good when you can say those words and they can start to become your mantra and your reality what will begin to happen is that you will free yourself you know as a pastor i've, I've gone through loss and betrayal and a sense of sense of i thought you would be with me and I, i've gone through all of those experiences and the thing that sets me completely free is when i can look at those things in the face and go thank you for those seasons thank you for the blessing Maybe they intended it for harm, I'm not sure. But whatever they intended it for, but God intended it for good, to save many lives. When that is my perspective, that God is the one who places me, God is the one who purposes me, God is the one who promotes me, and God is the one who will restore me. When that is my perspective, I'm a free man, and that is the gospel. The gospel is, I am a sinner, but God sent his son to die for sin, The gospel is, I deserved the wrath of God, but God punished His Son on my behalf. The gospel is, I was poor with lack, but God made me rich with His riches. The gospel is, I was unrighteous, but God put a robe of righteousness over me. This is the gospel. This is the Christianity we live. And the way we have to live it is by changing our perspective from this happened to me to this happened to me, but God. Now, as you go out this week, my prayer is that you'll take a journal, you'll take a book, or you'll have a conversation, maybe in your life group, and you'll begin to say, this part of my life is unresolved, and I'm going to put a but God onto the back end of it, and I'm going to let Jesus, through the gospel, heal me. And if you're not a Christian, and you're joining us online for the first time, maybe, maybe this will be your but God. I didn't really know if I believed in Jesus. I didn't really see myself as a sinner. But God spoke to me. And today, I can feel in my spirit that I want to receive Jesus. I want to be part of a but God story. And so today, I say, Lord, will you come into my life? Forgive me of my sin. And will you change my perspective? And will you change my life with your power? so that I will be able to say, this happened to me, but God, but God planned, placed, purposed, promoted, and restored my life. I pray that that will be your story as you go from here. God bless you.